Welcome everyone to the Spectrum of Health podcast. I'm Dr. Christine Schaffner, and today my guest is Dr. Mindy Peltz, and we're going to be talking about why women need to fast differently. Dr. Mindy Peltz is a best-selling author, keynote speaker, nutrition and functional health expert who has spent over two decades helping thousands of people successfully reclaim their health. She's a recognized leader in the alternative health field and a pioneer in the fasting movement, teaching the principles of a fasting lifestyle, diet variation, detox, hormones, and more. Her popular YouTube channel, which just celebrated 18 million lifetime views, regularly updates followers on the latest science-backed tools and techniques to help them reset their health. She's the host of one of the leading science podcasts, The Resetter Podcast, and the author of three best-selling books, The Menopause Reset, The Reset Factor, and The Reset Kitchen. Dr. Minnie has appeared on national shows like Extra TV and The Doctors has been featured in Muscle and Fitness, Well and Good, She Knows, Healthline, and more. I hope you enjoy this passionate conversation about fasting with Dr. Mindy Peltz. So I'm so thrilled to have this conversation. Welcome, Dr. Mindy. Oh, thank you for having me. I'm thrilled to have this conversation because women really need it. So thank you for opening up that uh, ability to do that because this is going to be really good. Yeah, absolutely. And I just have loved learning and seeing your work grow and evolve. And, you know, I think there's just so much awareness, right, around keto and fasting and, you know, all of these different um, ways that we can really stimulate our body's inherent ability to heal and self-cleanse and autophagy and all these wonderful things. But, you know, we, um, you know, like with anything, we think, okay, this is good for everyone. And, you know, I, I think, you know, we're all really individual and especially women and men have very unique um, biochemistry and we have to have that as part of the equation, especially when we're looking at metabolic health and fasting. And so I'm, I'm really excited to learn from you because I have a lot of female patients. I, 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 I'm open to treating everyone, but it's just the way it is. You know, I just yep. attract a lot of uh, women and a lot of women really want to embrace this lifestyle, but they're hiccups right along the way. And so maybe as we just dive into the different differences before we get there. I would just love to hear a little bit about your journey of how you became so passionate about fasting. Yeah. I, you know, I think it's like a lot of us, we find healing, the healing tools we need for either ourselves or we find it for our patients. And then it just sort of evolves into this passion project, which is really what fasting was for me. And the short version of a very long story is that I started off as a chiropractor and about 10 years into practice, I just became very clear that something in our environment had changed. The structural work that I did the day I graduated chiropractic school just wasn't having the same effect on the human body as it did 10 years after that graduation date. And so I went searching for answers and found, you know, when you look at the modern world, it was like, oh my God, toxins are up, stress is up, you know, the way people are approaching life, like all the things that you've been working on, you know, the light, everything had just dramatically changed and the human body was struggling because of it. Randomly at the same time or coincidentally, I was also going through my perimenopause journey and trying to put that piece together. And so the colliding of these two worlds had me looking at things like autophagy. Intermittent fasting was just great, creating some momentum. And so when I started to look into the science, I started to practice it on myself. I literally, the first thing I said was like, this is the craziest healing tool I have ever seen. And it doesn't cost any money and it doesn't take any time why are not more people singing from the rooftops about fasting? And so I just started 
teaching the world how to fast because <laughs> I could not believe that something so simple and so effective and so free could be such a helpful healing tool. And from there, I just started to see the need for women. So it was kind of like, you know, you start start with one step and then you take the next step and you take the next step. And before you know it, you know, you, you've been analyzing fasting for the, or I have been for like the last 10 years almost yeah. and teaching the world how to fast. You created a movement, right? Yeah, I like, <laughs> yeah. I, I, mean, I, I like to say that because, yeah. you know, it's where you and I unite, like, I hope, I hope to same in your, in your world, I hope we create a movement of people, but since we're focused on women, a, a movement of women that believe in their own healing power. Mm. And when the tool of fasting gets presented to a woman, what I love about it, in fact, just before I hopped on here, I was reading some things from our reset Academy of these, of incredible healing journeys. And what is very clear to me when a woman starts to fast and gets her health back is she takes ownership over her own healing power because mm-hmm. nobody can make you fast. Mm-hmm. You, it, it's you and you, against you. Mm-hmm. Like it is all in the your hands how you're going to let this incredible tool unfold. And when you get a win with it, you, you, there's only one person to give credit to, mm-hmm. and that's you. So I, that's why I love it is it really is giving women their power back. Mm, I love that. I love that lens and, you know, not to just go right there, but I'm sure you have these conversations all the time, right? That fasting is such a profound physical experience, of course, a mental, emotional and a, a spiritual experience. You know, there's a conversation throughout the ages of, you know, how that just, you know, connects you to you on so many levels. So I can see how this has just been such a rewarding journey for you. And I, I, you know, I, um, you know, I've been practicing almost 12 years now. Um, I think, yeah, 12 years. Oh my gosh. Yeah. And I, you know, I, you know, there's so many diets, right. As a naturopath, I'm like, okay, what diet does each person need everyone? There's so much food confusion and like, almost like it's paralyzing. And what I've kind of figured out over the years is that, you know, yes, diet is of course so important. There's so many different dietary strategies for people, but what I think is the consistent through line, um, you know, that we've been seeing. And of course you, you know, better than I is this timing of eating is probably more important than food. Maybe I'm wrong. I know. Yeah. Yeah. But it's like, you know, it's like we have this rhythm within us that the more that we're connected with, you know, just that that's where we unlock this healing capacity. So no, I I've been super curious and I'm studying it in my own practice and my patients. And we'll talk about some, you know, things I want to learn from you because we get stuck in stuff for some people. Um, so I want to understand what's going on, but, um, but before we go there on Dr. Minnie, let's just talk about, okay, why do we need to think of the female physiology? the woman's body differently when we start to approach fasting? Yeah, it's such a good question. And really the first thing that I think every woman needs to know is that your hormones matter. Mm -hmm. And there are a lot of hormones out there, but the three sex hormones drive our behaviors. They drive our moods. They drive our decisions. And they're meant to, because at different times of the month, we're meant to be more gregarious. We're meant to have more libido. And other times of the month, we're meant to curl up in a little ball and do nothing. And I feel like when I figured out how to time fasting and food to a woman's menstrual cycle, I had this like aha experience with my own hormones of like, oh my gosh, I have been living the same way every day of the month 
in every aspect of my life, never realizing that there are times for me to be more outgoing and there's times for me to be more inward. And why are we not teaching this to women? So I, you know, the biggest reason is those sex hormones because they are our superpower. They are literally our superpower. And yet they have been villainized. We have pushed them aside. We ignore their signs. And I think what I love about fasting this way is it gives women an opportunity to take their power back in a way that honors these incredible hormones that we're lucky to have. Mm-hmm. I love that. And there, as I, I totally agree, like in our culture, right? You know, these hormones are, as you said, vilified, suppressed, ignored. So many women are disconnected from them. And then there's this whole, as um, we're both well aware of, right? This whole environmental layer that, you know, we have all of these um, synthetic hormone mimicking toxicants within the body too. So there's all these layers, right? You know, and so, so I think also you made a really good point that, you know, health is resilience, it's adaptability, it's flexibility it's diversity, right? And so, you know, we can get really hyper-focused into this routine and do the same thing every day. And that's not resilience, right? And that's not fun. At the end of the day, that's not where we cultivate joy. So I, I love that our, our women's body, um, especially, I mean, menstruate or not, but especially with the menstrual cycle has a very specific rhythm each week, right? You know, with yeah. the fluctuation of hormones and yeah. you know how incredible, right? That right. Our, our bodies have this calendar, yeah. <laughs> you know, that that happens, this internal clock. And so why don't we walk through, you know, so you know, many people who are listening, of course, know about the hormones um throughout the cycle, but just maybe high-level overview of what's happening on a monthly, you know, cycle with a woman's changing physiology. Yeah. So real high level, if you are looking, and because this will tie in really well when we talk about fasting as well, if you understand understand the hormones, but what on day one of your menstrual cycle, which is when you start bleeding, because believe it or not, I don't know if you get this question. Like people are like, how do I know what day one is? Yeah. I I get that a lot. (laughs) I'm like, like, I I think that's fascinating. I'm like, it's the day you bleed. But then I realized is that, and we'll talk about this in a, in a moment, a lot of women don't, they, they have like a ramp up to their bleed. It's like a little, like they spot, 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 and then they go. So day, day one uh, is the day you start bleeding. And from day one at, at day one, you're going to get, see this crash of hormones because your body just built a ton of progesterone. It comes crashing down. You start your menstrual cycle and usually within a day or two, you're, you know, you might have a few days, you don't feel so good, but by, by day two, you're starting to feel a little bit better and estrogen starts to ramp up and estrogen will build, 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 build till about day, well, 10, which is where ovulation kicks in. And then at ovulation day 10 to day 15, we've got estrogen at her peak. We get a, a big surge of testosterone and a little bit of progesterone. So I, this ovulation period is the time that I feel like we should be celebrating our magnificence. (laughs) Like we are so powerful with those three hormones coming in, but it doesn't last very long. It goes till about day 15. And then those hormones come crashing down until about around day 16. And then day 19, we start making progesterone and progesterone starts building. Now, if you are a normal cycling woman, progesterone is really lovely. It kind of slows you down. It like wants you to chill. It's very uh, a bit inward. You're going to feel a little more like I just want to nurture myself. And so when progesterone is coming in, we want to honor that. We want to be like 
oh my gosh, I want to sit on the couch with a tub of ice cream. Although I'm not <laughs> saying that you should do that, but, but what, or not, don't do it. <laughs> it's, it's what we want. You know, our yeah. body tells us to do, we start craving more carbs. We don't feel like going out. We have a much more inward feeling and that's because progesterone is building. And then once you start to bleed, the whole thing starts over again. Mm-hmm. So it's very, this rhythm is, is very, telling of uh, our behaviors. It's very telling of the habits we should have, but you are not women. You are not meant to feel the same, look the same, approach your health the same all month long because Mm. of the ebbs and flows of hormones. Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, um, excellent overview. And, you know, I hope people who are listening um, can give themselves permission, right? You yes. Know, there's different times when we have different energy and when we, when we fight against, you know, a natural rhythm, it, things are so much harder, right? We all know what resistance feels like, right? Yep. And so, you know, really like, you know, I know people have talked about this and I'm sure you do as well, like timing your life and your activities around your hormonal shifts so that you can amplify and have them, you know, work with you instead of against you. I mean, life will happen, of course, but if you can, you know, if you're writing a book, don't write it right before you're going to, you know, bleed, you know, right when you have full of energy, you know, so, um, so no, I I think there's um, so many ways to look at our rhythm. And so let's bring that in. And I want to talk, of course, about perimenopause and menopause, but let's talk about the cycling female. So how should we approach fasting with a woman who has a regular menstrual cycle or just a menstrual cycle in general? Because a lot of women have, you know, so many um, unfortunate menstrual abnormalities and menstrual. And just, I'm sure you're, you agree with me that we shouldn't um, accept that PMS is normal and, you know, cramps are normal. And, you know, we just have to get through that. That's actually a sign that we need more support. Like a menstrual cycle cycle should be a smooth process each month. That's what we're aiming for. Right. Yeah. You know, this, you bring up a really good point. You know, I think once you tune in to these hormones, you'll notice that PMS is, is really when it's, when we bitch about it, it's because you want to go against how you're naturally supposed to feel. But Mm -hmm. in general, we should have, these cycles should be, we should sort of ebb and flow with them, but not be maimed by them. Mm -hmm. So, so to your point, so here's what the way we look at fasting is each one of these three hormones really requires something different when it comes to fasting. And I, before I dive into each, what each one wants, I want to say that when I look at fasting, I know the world thinks of intermittent fasting. Mm-hmm. That's kind of the go-to. It's a great one, 13 to 15 hours. One of the best female studies ever done on intermittent fasting was women recovering from breast cancer. And they found if all they did was 13 hours of a fast, every single day, they should have considered their cycle, but they didn't in the study, um, that they would, they had a 64% less reoccurrence of breast cancer. And that's all they did. That's huge. That's huge. (laughs) I'm pretty sure that's better than the statistics on tamoxifen. So 13 to 15 is intermittent fasting. It's It's what most people do, but then I really encourage people to go all the way up to a three-day water fast because there's so much healing in between those two. Mm-hmm. So I say all that to say in that first part of the cycle, when estrogen is coming in, estrogen actually really likes glucose to come down, insulin to come down, and you can go keto, you can fast. You're good in that first part, first 10 days, try fasting. If you haven't tried it yet, Try a longer fast if you haven't. If you want to remove the carbs, that's awesome. Like that will work within the first 10 days. When we move into ovulation, this is sort of a new 
reframe after watching hundreds and thousands of women go through this fasting cycle is what I call it. Um, In ovulation, we have a couple of things, and I'd actually be curious your opinion on this. What I'm seeing is that when hormones come in, we tend to get a real big dump of toxins. And so you got three major hormones like shining in ovulation. So if you're going into too deep of a fast, when the longer fast will dump toxins too. Mm -hmm. And now you've got a woman who's miserable at ovulation, which is the time she should be feeling like a freaking rock star. Mm -hmm. So I have now telling women 15 to 17 hours of fasting in your ovulation window is great. Don't go into a longer fast work on your microbiome, work on really repairing the gut because you need the estrobilome, you need your liver, focus on your liver, all of that to break those hormones down. Mm. And when you come out of ovulation, if you want to go into a longer fast, one of my favorite new fasts that I've been really encouraging people to do is a dopamine fast, where mm. you, you not only are fasting for 48 hours from food, you might throw some other dopamine stimulating activities uh, away during that time. Really good time to do that is right after ovulation. And then as we move into that progesterone building time, no fasting like that week before your cycle, you can, your body does not want cortisol to be raised and you are, we're naturally more insulin resistant the week before our period, which if you, honor what, what the body's doing. A great question to ask is why would the body be more insulin resistant before that week before? And it's because it's trying to keep glucose high so that it can make progesterone. Mm. So if we forget that and start fasting more, doing more keto that week before you're going to PMS symptoms are going to be much more intense. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's, um, yeah, no, I love how you map that out. And I, I think I, I want to ask a few questions here, but maybe the relationship between cortisol and progesterone, if you want to just share any insight there, because um, that's probably a very common <laughs> problem in our you know society. Oh, right yeah. now. So just yeah. any relationships that you want to educate us on about that relationship. Yeah, the most simple way to think about this is that cortisol, progesterone, and testosterone all have a precursor called DHEA. Mm-hmm. And DHEA is, I mean, I haven't been able to find any foods you can get it in. It's mm-hmm. naturally produced yeah. in your body. So what happens is if you are always stressed, your body will take that DHEA and make cortisol. Over time, that leaves none for progesterone and none for testosterone, usually progesterones first. Mm-hmm. So what we find is if you go into that week before your period and you are under a lot of stress or you are fasting too long, you're telling your body, hey, take the DHEA and make cortisol and forget progesterone. And now your cycle's thrown off and you're, you're, you know, you, or you start spotting or worse yet, your anxiety goes up because progesterone calms us. Mm. So progesterone wants cortisol to go away, like wants Mm. cortisol to just chill out so that all that DHEA can go to progesterone to allow her to function at her best. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and no, I love that. I, and I think some people call it like the cortisol steal, right? You know, right. That's stealing our hormones. And so, um, and, you know, a lot of women, right, are progesterone deficient, you know, right now. A so, lot. 
Um, you know, that is really good insight not to add another layer of stress, you know, on your body during this time and, um, not to fast during this time. I love that. And you made a few comments that, um, you know, I also want to acknowledge and also noodle because I shared with you before we got on that I have a lot of menstruating women who have a lot of chronic illnesses. So they're going to be the mold and Lyme and everything in between, but they have that, a lot of that stress on their system. And what I found, you know, as clinicians, right, we're observers, right? We can have all sorts of ideas, but our patients teach us every day. And then we're like, why is this happening? And I, you know, throughout my career, I've seen that one week before menstruation, as this time where a lot of my chronically ill patients uh, flare. And I started calling it like this luteal phase flare, what's happening. And my research has shown that, you know, before ovulation, right, the body is, as you said, like, it's great for fasting. And, you know, our immune system is really strong, actually, at that time. It's the time where before ovulation and all the things that could possibly happen after, like, our body can fight, it can, you know, it's strong. And then after ovulation, right, we have to be, you know, a woman can get pregnant theoretically every cycle. And so the incoming potential foreign DNA in a body um, that progesterone also has this immunosuppressive effect, right? So it's not the time to fight. It's a time to, as you said, you know, gestate and kind of prepare and, you know, all of that. And so what I've made sense of, and there's a woman I had to like research and she was in the, I haven't connected with her, but she was in 1999 or 2000, Dr. Mary Lynn Barkley out of UC. Davis. She studied this with Lyme patients and she saw this too. And she saw that women with Lyme were more flared at that time because of the immune suppression. Mm. So progesterone goes down. So then Lyme can be more active. And then, you know, they start to feel better as, you know, their levels, you know, the estrogen returns and their immune system returns. And so yeah, um, so it, it's just all like a whole nother layer, right? On yeah. what's going on with all the microbes within the body. Cause you know, we're, you know, our, our humanness, right. But then we have all of these, the microbiome and, you know, all these other cycles, right. So and so So I, um, no, so I was curious, um, you know, I I think we're both saying in different ways, like that is a time, you know, that we need to be really supporting a woman's body. We really need to, you know, from my perspective, how I've kind of shifted around that time is giving people more immune support during that time. And and also more progesterone, you know, sometimes people need progesterone supplementation. So we'll, we'll do that. Um, But no, I, I'm just curious. I mean, obviously, getting fasting into the picture, right. Could also support people, you know, just with these chronic infections. And that's a whole other healing tool. That's probably not utilized enough in in this community. Do you have a lot of um, your community that have mold and Lyme and all that? Yeah. All the things, all all the the things. things. (laughs) I know. I'm just saying like the modern terrain. That's what I call it. (laughs) I just, I'm like, I can't even keep up with it. It's just the modern terrain. I was just going to say, it's like, the list is so long. It's like how, this is my big cry is like, do people realize that the modern world has really changed and is on attack of the human body? So absolutely agree. Yeah. Yeah. So no, I I'm in, yeah, it's, it's, this is why this tool is so important. Right. And so, so then Mindy, let's shift gears. I want to get into the perimenopause, like what's going on in perimenopause and you know how, I mean, that's when you really discovered something, right? So what should a woman with perimenopause, because there are cycles all over the map, right? You know, so how do, how do they look at this differently? 
So, you know, it's so funny because everybody wants to talk about the perimenopausal woman. And I'm like, yeah, I know, I know. It's like such a tumultuous time and our cycle sometimes regular, sometimes it's not. I actually have a belief that I bet more divorces happen during the perimenopausal years. And really there should be a lot more love and, and patience with the perimenopausal woman. I just, just a huge Don't make any big decisions. <laughs> yeah. For 15 years, no big decisions, whatever you do. <laughs> so, um, so yeah, here's the thing I would say about perimenopause that shocked me and would be a message I really would want women to understand. At 40, your ovaries are going to be like, hey, you know what? We've been working hard. Like we've been giving you eggs all the time. And we're just going to start to head into retirement. And we're going to just make this slow decline. It's not going to be overnight. It's going to be about 10 to 15 years. By the time you hit your mid fifties, we might be out. And so it has to start to train a backup to be able to handle our the, the production of our sex hormones. So mm-hmm. it hands over its job to your adrenal glands. Mm-hmm. So when women come racing into their 40s in this high stress state, what ends up happening is that the adrenals are like, what? Wait, no way. Like I've already been doing a big job. I can't be doing a, you know, your job now. So, you know, forget the sex hormones. I'm going to stay in the cortisol lane. Perimenopausal women have to be very mindful of that cortisol spike they're going to get with fasting. So that's the first thing. And, and it's just like exercise. You you get a cortisol spike with exercise. So that would be the first thing. The second thing that's cruelty in perimenopause years is as estrogen goes down, you become more insulin resistant. So I can't tell you how many women, I'm sure this you're the same, you've heard the same thing where they're like, I didn't do anything different. I'm eating the same, I'm exercising the same, and I all of a sudden I put on 15 pounds. Mm-hmm. And that's because estrogen decided to make her her getaway, I should say. <laughs> and so now you're more insulin resistant. Okay, so we have these two dilemmas. With estrogen to help her out, we can fast like a queen. It will be amazing. You're, I mean, I've watched perimenopausal women lose weight so quickly. I've watched postmenopausal women lose quake weight so fast. But on the other hand, we can't lose weight and use fasting as this incredible tool for mental clarity, weight loss, all those things without understanding that progesterone doesn't want you to fast. So you have this weird sort of mixture. And I would say this is the best way to do it is if you're not tracking your cycle, now's the time to track your cycle. And I started doing this at 43. Mm. And so, you know, on day one, okay, it's day one. Let me, let me just go through the rhythm that I mentioned earlier. Let me start fasting for those first 10 days. And then I'll bring the fast down and all the, I call it the fasting cycle. Mm-hmm. But then you got to have some time where you're not fasting. So maybe, you know, when you hit that day 20, e- even if you like, maybe you're like, but I don't have a period for 60, 90 days. Then maybe at day 20, you go a week where you're not fasting. Maybe we're now day 27, no period. You're used to your period at 28. We go to day 
60, no period, you're going to have to find a rhythm between fasting in strong and going in strong with a low carb diet, and then find a rhythm where you're not fasting as much. And Mm -hmm. usually it's easier uh, written out and explained, but this will all be in the new book where okay. I, ha- I have like a 30 day reset that women can do and follow to try to get those perimenopausal hormones back on track. Mm-hmm. We, we've even used it with postmenopausal women um, so that she can start to get a little bit of a rhythm again. But mm-hmm. that is, it's the most difficult to figure out how to time your fast to because mm-hmm. you can go so long without a period. And then mm-hmm. all of a sudden it can come and it can be like every two weeks. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. Oh, go ahead. No. And then the other thing I would say is get to know the behaviors of these hormones. So progesterone will, will knock on your door. How you know she's knocking on your door is when you are like crazy hungry Mm-hmm. You you are tired and maybe you want to sit on the couch. You're not very motivated. You're feeling very inner. I, I would say for the perimenopausal women, they don't sleep very well. So when all of a sudden you're not sleeping, that's the sign that peri- that po- progesterone's like, hey, I need you to mind me and you mm-hmm. wouldn't fast as much. Mm-hmm. Where Whereas estrogen is going to be more along the lines of, you know, like your hair starts to flatten out, your skin gets a little more wrinkly. I've seen some chronic pain show up when estrogen really dips. And those are going to be the times you're actually going to want to fast. You want to go mm-hmm. into a little bit longer so that you can start to bring your, your age-appropriate estrogen to its highest level possible. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, that's such great advice. And, you know, it's an art, right, to figure this all out. And I, you know, I, I'm sure you've reflected on this. And it's this conundrum, right, in modern times, right? You know, like, this is a natural phase of life for women, right, for yeah. us to have a shift in hormones. But how I've made sense of it, and maybe you can shed some light, is because of this whole modern terrain, I think our hormones just get imbalanced in a way that nature probably doesn't intend, you know, during that time, like whether, you know, we've had all this stress in our life. So we're just in this more deficient, like we're, we're lower or more imbalanced, you know, than maybe nature intended. And that's why, you know, we look at hormones and sometimes we need to replace them while we're figuring, you know, while we're self-cleaning the body and getting, you know, it back in rhythm. But cause I, I feel that, you know, I'm sure we agree. Like, I don't think we just, you know, accept like women need to be depleted during this time and their hormones no. down. It's just, I think that modern life has just made that shift more dramatic than maybe nature intended. I mean, do you feel that? Oh, a hundred, a hundred percent. I, yeah. I don't think we need to suffer through menopause and yeah. that whole experience. Um, and I actually wrote about this in my last book, The Menopause Reset. I made, when I hit four, my early 40s, I made five different lifestyle changes. Mm-hmm. One of them was the timing of my food. The second was really working on when to go with low carb and when to not go low carb. So much of this happened, these changes happened to me because I had to. It was like, I was struggling mentally, physically, and I'm like, okay, I got to do something or I'm going on HRT or I'm going on bioidenticals, which I'm not, I'm not opposed to. It's just my value system is to not go on medication. And so it just wasn't in my wheelhouse. I wanted to do everything I could lifestyle wise. Mm -hmm. So I really do believe that the modern world has messed our hormones up and the perimenopausal woman is the one suffering the most. Mm -hmm. Yeah, no, I I hear you. And do you find it's valuable to test women's hormones during this time? Or do you feel like that's just 
makes things even more complicated. Um, it's, you know what? So I would say, yeah. I would say yes for yeah. a woman's own knowledge, but yeah. I, I know, I don't know about you. I see pretty common trends yeah. like in the perimenopausal woman and it's, you know, low progesterone, possibly low testosterone, adrenals are either the cortisol patterns are either dysregulated or totally tanked. DHEA is low. The, the estrogen breakdown, it, the specifically 16-OH, we see low all the time mm-hmm. due to toxicity and, and an overstressed liver. Melatonin's low. Uh, you know, even dopamine, I mean, everything is like depleted because she hasn't been taught how to adapt to those perimenopausal years to match this crazy world we're living in. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I, um, you know, I, I'm, I'm sure you're looking at urinary hormones, right? With, uh, yeah, yeah, with yeah. So yeah. I didn't yeah. say that out loud, but yes, we both look at yes. urinary hormones. I'm sure yes. and there's a lot of insight there. So then, you know, Mindy, you talked about a couple different styles of fasting, right? So again, we want to make sure um, and you have so much great information. So I know we're just giving people a lot, but they can go dive into your, your ecosystem and your world and get a lot of more specific knowledge, but maybe walk us through like what types of fasting, like in this fasting lifestyle that women should think about in a, um, like a monthly cycle, like you mentioned, like three-day water fast or intermittent fasting, but what should we be aiming for? Yeah. Great question. So six different length fasts, 13 hours up to 72 hours. I usually call intermittent fasting your doorway in. It's the one that most people can do. It's great for changing metabolic markers. So you can bring inflammation down. You can reset insulin. We see, uh, you know, um, cholesterol can even change. We've seen blood pressure change. So all the classic metabolic syndrome type uh, conditions can be changed with 13 to 15 hours. Mm-hmm. When when you get to 17 hours, you start stimulating autophagy, uh, which really cleans the cell up. When you get to 24 hours, you, you, we have evidence that the gut will reset and we can start to make some pretty dramatic changes in gut health. 36 hours, we start burning more fat. 48 hours, we reset dopamine pathways. And then 72 hours, we reset the whole immune system. Mm. So, so knowing that, like, yeah. who doesn't want that, right? Like, check, check. Right, check, check. <laughs> exactly. So, okay. So now we start our cycle day one. We, you know, most of the women that we work with in, in my sphere, that day one to day 10, they'll do about a 17 to 24 hour fast. And it, if you haven't fasted before, that might sound horrible, but because the human body was meant to fast, you actually, once you find your rhythm, it actually gets pretty easy and 17 to 24 shouldn't be that hard. Mm-hmm. So I want a woman to go into a little longer fast. If she's like a one, an O matter is what I call them. You know, the, the one meal a day, you know, fanatic then that would be a great time to put in a 36 hour fast or a 48 hour fast. And then again, like I mentioned before that ovulation window day 11 to 15, Mm. you know, we don't really want to fast that much, but 15 hours is great. Let's get the metabolic markers in check so that we're not letting insulin get out of control. Then when we come out of that window, we can now go back into the longer fast for four days. So in my world, I have a, you know, it's funny there's a, people would be shocked at how many women want to do the longer fasts. Yeah. It's really yeah. weird. Like when I, the, the next book that's coming out, it's called fast, like a girl. When yeah. I, when yeah. I took it 
to the publishers, when my agent took it to the publishers, some of the publishers, the big publishers were like, I don't know if women want to fast this long. <laughs> and, I, and I started to laugh. I'm like, you obviously haven't gone to my social media because I'm trying to get women to chill out on fasting. They keep wanting to go so long. Mm. So a lot of women in our community will go into that. Like I mentioned, the 48 hour fast, reset their dopamine coming out of ovulation. And then mm. again, progesterone doesn't want you to fast. Mm. So you can take you. I tell you all that to say, you can take take the, the fasting tool and say, what do you want to do? If you know that insulin's a big issue, then gosh, 13 to 15 hours is just fine. Like work, get comfortable with that and create some variation there. If you know that you really need to clean those cells up and you need to stimulate autophagy, and maybe you have a past behavior around just poor living, then let's get you some autophagy so we can clean up the proteins inside that cell and we can push out viruses that are inside that cell. So I love that 17 hours is where that's, that autophagy comes in. If you've been on birth control for 20 years and you've had 50 rounds of antibiotics, you're going to need some more 24 hour fasts. So let's throw those in at the beginning and right after ovulation. So we can really repair the gut. And if you're dealing with like, to your point, any immune system issues, yeah, once a quarter, one, twice a year, you're going to want to throw in a three-day water fast and mm -hmm. you're going to want to time it in those dips of your hormones, not when the hormones are their highest. Mm -hmm. So it's like, it's kind of like a Swiss army knife where you're like, I've got a wine opener. I've got a <laughs> knife. I've got some tweezers. Like, what do I want to pull out according to what I'm trying to create? And then how do I time that to my cycle? That's what I'm trying to teach with all the tools coming together. Yeah, no, I love that. And I love that there's, you know, a flexibility and timing and there's not a one size fits all approach. I, I love that um, about, you know, the variation here and, you know, getting people some wins right under their yeah. back before they like dive into like a, you know, three day water fast, right. You know, getting people ready for that. So just Mindy, I have some like logistical questions. I know, yeah, go for it. you know, like people are going to be like, I know you get this all the time. This coffee count. Like, <laughs> so, so what to do with the coffee? <laughs> like, you you know, gotta ask it. You gotta ask yeah, it. It's yeah, like, yeah. You know, I, there's like some classic questions, like top yeah. 10 questions. That's definitely yeah. one of them. It's coffee. Yeah. Okay. And I live in Seattle. Everyone drinks coffee. Yeah. Uh, okay. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So let's talk about coffee. I would say in most cases, coffee works in your fasting window, but remember what controls your blood sugar are those mic is the microbiome and everybody's microbiome is different. So I could drink a cup of black coffee and my blood sugar may go down. You can drink a cup of black coffee and maybe your blood sugar goes up. Mm -hmm. So the first thing is to test. And the test I like is you take a blood sugar reading in a fasted state, preferably drink your cup of coffee, a half hour later, take another blood sugar reading. Are those two numbers similar or all, did that second reader, reading go high or low or did it stay the same? If it goes high, now some experts say 10 points difference, the elevation from the first reading. I think like three points, four points. Like if your blood sugar spiked, you're moving out of this fasted state into more of a sugar burner state. So the first thing with coffee is know your numbers, know if it works for you or not. Mm -hmm. Having said that, cream is another one. Like if you're going to put cream in the coffee, again, test it and see because it may work for some of you and not for others. 
And then Mm -hmm. the third part about coffee is we can use coffee to our ketogenic advantage. Mm -hmm. And this is where putting something like MCT oil in it will help you switch over into your fat burning ketogenic energy system a little bit quicker. Mm -hmm. So if you haven't experimented with putting MCT oil in your coffee, I really encourage you to do it because it it kills the hunger that you get sometimes when you're fasting, gives you incredible mental clarity. It can give you more ketones, which makes fasting a lot easier. Mm-hmm. Thank you. That yeah. answered a lot of questions <laughs> out there. So no, thank you. Thank you. No, that's a great oh. tip. And, you know, try it because, you know, everyone's going to have a different response. And you mentioned about measuring, right? You know, glucose and ketones. And so when you're working with somebody, you know, I know the keto mojo or whatever is out there for people to actually do a blood a finger stick and look at the blood to evaluate either glucose and ketones. And so when you're working with someone, do you have targets? Um, like say somebody is really wanting to work on um, more blood sugar optimization, right? Like they have a higher hemoglobin A1C or what have you. And will you have them fast until their blood sugar goes down, you know, or is there like a, a way to like super individualized timing? Like you had some really good ideas around 15, 17 hours, but is there a way to even individualize it at like another step to like monitor your glucose as it's shifting and then like check it before you eat? I don't know if there is yeah, yeah. specific, but um, I'm curious. Yeah. So two things with blood sugar in the fasting world, we look at blood sugar, but we also look at ketones. So you'll hear me kind of talk a little bit about that because I, in this particular setting, it's a little hard to pull the two out. So the first thing that I would say is first thing, when you get up in the morning, optimally, optimally, we'd like to see your blood sugar around 70 to 90. Now, if you've been tracking your blood sugar and you're like, oh my God, mine's like 130, you know, 120, don't go beat yourself up because that's not the goal, by the way, of fasting is not to compare or beat yourself up. It's to use a monitor like that to go, that's interesting. It's high in the morning. So then you go along your intermittent fasting way, let's say, and you hit 13 hours. Take another reading at that moment. And what I, the only thing you are looking for is that blood sugar to come down. If it's not coming down, most likely we have some good hardcore insulin resistance in there that that I've even see it go up sometimes when people are fasting. And that can also be an indication you need to love on your liver a little bit more. And so all of those little nuances make a big difference. Mm -hmm. in that second reading. The second thing I would say is ketones. Most people, if we have any fasting fans out there, I would say most people don't wake up in ketosis. And Mm -hmm. if they, if they tell you they do mm, go check their monitor because (laughs) at night your your brain uses ketones. It uses glucose. So most people are are not waking up in ketosis, but let's say you wake up at 0.2 then at that, before you break your fast, I'd like to see that, that ketones are moving more towards like 0.5. They're growing, they're getting a little bit better. Mm-hmm. The reason I start with that is I want to see, is your body making that switch mm-hmm. without food? Is your body going, Hey, guess what? The blood sugar, if we don't, we don't sense any coming in, let's start to like switch over into this fat burning place. Mm-hmm. If it if it's not, if you're not seeing that the numbers that I just talked about, then just stay there, work on your food, work on fasting until you start to see that second reading where the blood sugar comes down and the and the ketones go up. Mm-hmm. The other thing that I always like to point out, I'm sure you're a fan of CGMs. 
Are you a fan of, or maybe not? Yeah. You like CGMs? CGMs. Uh, continuous glu- glucose monitor. Yes. Got it. Yeah. Um, you know, I haven't used those in my, I mean, uh, every now and then I have a patient, but I'm not a big proponent of them, but I'm, I'm, oh, you should, more. you should try them. I think, yeah. I think actually, if we could put a CGM on every individual on this planet, <laughs> we would, would like, it would be like, we, <laughs> that biofeedback, that instant. Oh bio my God. Feedback. Oh yeah. Oh my gosh. But you learn a lot, right? So much. And yeah. you, like, we could have been out of the pandemic like this if we had just slapped some CGM on everybody. Yeah. Um, and, and the reason is you, you will change your relationship to food. You will change the way that you look at your blood sugar. Mm. So there are some times when we naturally are seeing trends when blood sugar goes up in the absence of food. Mm. One of, one of those times is two and three o'clock in the morning. Mm. So I get a lot liver of time, questions. right? Liver time. Liver, liver time. Exactly. Liver time. Yeah. Yeah. So I, I get a lot of people are like, wait, I woke up and my blood sugar was higher in the morning. Than it was when I went to bed and I'm like, oh, your liver just dumped all its extra glucose into your system. Hallelujah. That's amazing. So (laughs) I really like to look at that timing to see how much stored sugar we have. Mm. And then the last thing to your point, I think is really interesting way to use blood sugar is when you eat a meal, and this is obviously not in your fasted state, but how quickly does your blood sugar come down? Within two hours from the start of your meal until two hours later after the meal, those numbers should be equal. It should be back to where it was at its pre-meal level. Mm-hmm. If it's not, then we're also dealing with some insulin resistance. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So, so all that little nuance becomes really, really helpful. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. And, the, and actually the last piece on that, I would say is some people tell me my blood sugar is doing what I need to do, but the ketones aren't growing. Well, that's when we start to look at toxicity. Like why is that? Why can't the body make the stress or the mm-hmm. shift? And that's when we go, okay, high toxic load. Mm-hmm. So each one of these things is, can be a reflection back to us. Mm-hmm. And that's why I personally love all the measurements because it tells us what our body's doing. Oh yeah. The biofeedback is incredible. Right. And yeah, a lot of, um, there's all these, um, individual differences, but no, I, I think that's a really, really great overview. Um, as I talk to you more, I have so many more questions, but I'm going <laughs> to, I know we're almost at our time, but I have maybe two more, Mindy PCOS polycystic ovarian syndrome. So that's kind of a bucket diagnosis, but there's obviously a blood sugar components. So these are women who um, have maybe make more androgens and that can also look like a pattern where they have um, higher blood sugar. Um, And not all of them, I would say, I I would say in my patient population, I have a lot of, um, they don't fit the typical paradigm of you think, oh, women who are overweight or, you know, not eating well, like they can be doing all the things right, but still have the hormonal impact on their blood sugar. And so do you fast those women differently um, than other um, women? Yeah, it's a great question. So as you know, they're like two root causes of PCOS are insulin resistance and toxicity. So yeah. which probably is the two causes it, of everything. Modern terrain. <laughs> <laughs> Just if you're listening out there, that's it. No. Yeah, if there's anything you gather from this podcast, it's insulin resistance and toxicity. Totally, totally. <laughs> so, yeah. so, so when you, with PCOS, it's that front half of the cycle, you know, in that follicular phase where we're coming into ovulation, you want to make sure that you are keeping insulin down. So it's the same thing that I've mentioned. I call it the fasting cycle where you go all the way through. 
I literally have found that when women follow the 30 day fasting cycle regime that I talked about, the insulin resistance goes away. PCS, PCOS starts, symptoms start to improve. Honestly, within like 90 days, it's mm. like about 50% reduction in PCOS wow. symptoms. Wow. And, and we haven't even detoxed them yet. All yeah. we've done is we've taken 90 days to get that insulin resistance under control. Oh, wow. Now, the ones that aren't doing that, they find, gosh, I either didn't completely heal or maybe I only got 20% reduction in my symptoms. Now's the time you're going to, you have a mirror of toxicity staring you right in the face mm -hmm. and that you really are going to need to address your toxic load. Mm -hmm. I, I, I had a woman come up to me at a seminar and she asked me, she goes, oh, I follow all your videos and I have PCOS and I've done everything you said to do. I'm sure you get this too. Yeah, yeah. And, uh, and I was like, okay, well, how, you know, how are you fasting? So I started poking around. She had the fast, what I call fast like a girl, where she got mm -hmm. all the different ways to fast for her cycle. And she She's like, I'm doing that. I'm doing that. And all I could do is smell her perfume mm. and I couldn't take it. It was like toxic, toxic, toxic. And I said to phthalates, her, yeah. I, yeah, phthalates. I said, yeah. are you, have you looked at your toxic load? Oh yeah. No, I've looked at all my toxic load. <laughs> I wanted to be like, really? Because I want to walk away from this conversation right now because I can't take the smell of your perfume. Yeah. Yeah. So I think we, with PCOS, try clearing it out by fasting according to your cycle for mm -hmm. 90 days, and then you're going to have to address the toxic yeah. part. Awesome. No, I think that's such a great um, tool because it's more and more common, right? And as, you know, toxicity and insulin resistance is more and right. more common, this is, you know, a great tool for that. Okay. I'm going to try to contain myself. One more question. Um, <laughs> no, you can keep yeah. going. It's okay. <laughs> yeah. It's, it's fascinating. Uh, I thought. Yeah, totally. So leptin resistance. So in the kind of biotoxin mold illness kind of paradigm, we look at leptin, you know, and there's, um, you know, a lot of variables, right? But there is, you know, again, a component where people gain weight or have, of course, they have insulin resistance and toxicity and all of these things, but there's a whole layer of leptin resistance, potentially, you know, keeping them in this metabolic kind of blockade, if you will. And so have you found just regular fasting strategies, just that takes care of it on its own, or do we have to approach leptin in a different way? Again, I mean, I, I hate making it sound so simple, but it- Please, yeah. <laughs> we, we complicate everything. <laughs> right? It's strangely simple. Yeah. But what, what we typically see is that leptin resistance is going to be the most traumatic for the body in that first 10 days of your cycle as your body's trying to build estrogen. So go into the longer fast. So if you're like, I've fast 13 hours now and you feel like you have leptin resistance. Now is the time to throw the longer fast in, but do them as your body's building estrogen, mm -hmm. because just like estrogen needs insulin down, it also needs leptin down. Mm -hmm. So I typically with leptin resistant patients, I, I, I was going to say push, but that doesn't sound right. I was <laughs> going to encourage them to go into deeper fasts or earlier in their cycle and mm -hmm. We found that that clears things up for the most part, with the exception of the incredibly toxic people who mm -hmm. are going to need to then handle that toxic load piece as well. Mm -hmm. Awesome. Awesome. So Mindy, what's your fasting schedule? Like, you know, what, what, okay, are, you, yeah, like what's a day in the life of Mindy? <laughs> <laughs> I want to know. Yeah. Okay. So it's a great question. Yeah. So, and you know, here, let me first say I'm 52. 
I have no idea if I'm perimenopause. I'm definitely not menopausal. I had a cycle about 45 days ago. So uh, where am I in the cycle? I would say this week I've been hungry in the morning. So I've been eating more. I, I feel like progesterone may be knocking on the door to create some some a new cycle for me. So I, I, I listen to my symptoms a lot. Yeah. On the days when I, um, I would say most days I'm a 17 plus hour faster. So I, I have a hard stop of eight o'clock for food. Mm-hmm. Not, just no food, no drink. I literally look at my at my phone and I'm like, it's eight. We're shutting this down. Yeah. So nothing elevates my blood sugar after eight. Mm-hmm. When I get up in the morning, I have my cup of coffee. And then I would say on most days, it's about noon before I start to think, am I going to open up my eating window? If at 10 a.m., I'm hungry. I start asking myself, am I trying to build progesterone? And if I sense my body's trying to build progesterone, I'll break my fast at 10 o'clock, usually with something probiotic rich, like a kefir. Sometimes I have a little golden kefir milk that I'll just take a little bit of that. Sometimes I'll do like a a fermented yogurt um, and I'll try something probiotic rich. Mm -hmm. But I would say that's the exception. Most of the time I go to noon, I would say my sweet spot that I love, I did actually today, which is I usually break my fast around two and my eating window is two to eat, two to eight. Okay. That, that makes me feel like I can be the most productive because food kind of slows me down a little bit. And um, it also feels like it keeps those metabolic markers where I want them. So I would say two to eight is pretty common eating window for me. Mm-hmm. Take you out to dinner between two and eight, right? <laughs> <laughs> You're um, thinking about taking me out to dinner. Yeah. Yes, that's right. If you would like to invite me to dinner, make it at six o'clock so we can have some time. Or if you yeah. want to, if you want to go have lunch with me, we're just gonna have to do it at two. I love that. And then, what's the longest fast you've done? How? Many- oh, great question. Uh, five days. I've done several wow. five day fasts, yeah. and my the one I really love to talk about is well, I threw a five day fast at uh, an Achilles tendon injury. And it, lit- it literally was one of these moments where I tried everything to heal an Achilles tendon. And I was really worried it was going to become a big problem. And mm-hmm. I woke, I woke up one morning and I thought, I'm going to fast until this thing goes away. And so I did. And then what happens at day three is you start getting stem cells. Mm-hmm. And so day three, I started feeling like this buzz in the, in the Achilles tendon. It continued into day four. By day five, I kid you not, the Achilles tendon pain was completely gone. When I reintroduced food, that buzz stayed there for maybe six months. Like it was weird. It was like, what, what just energetically happened in my, in my Achilles? And I never got the pain again, never had a problem with it ever again. It was just the stem cells, I assume, went into action, did what they needed to do to repair. It was like a flipping miracle. So I love that five-day window. That's incredible. And, you know, I, and I'm so grateful there's regenerative medicine out there, but like fasting versus like a $3,000 injection, right. <laughs> you know, like, right. you know, it's, it's right. yeah. I mean, that's, that's just a great um, story about the body really can heal, you know? Yeah. So, uh, yeah I love it. Those yeah. longer fasts, we have some crazy, crazy stories in our community about the longer fasts. And I've seen like patients that I've helped through situations like uh, lymphoma and uh, 
few leukemia cases, but um, in the adults lymphoma, where we go in and we have done a three-day water fast every week, trying to reproduce Walter Longo's study on fasting and the cancer patient. The mark, it changes dramatically. The blood changes, the white blood cells get rebooted. It's crazy. Those longer fasts are truly miraculous. It's mm. so fun. But the first time you do them, have you done one? Not that long. I've only done the two days, you know? Yeah. Um, yeah. So that, yeah, that I, I want to, I'm like, as you're talking, you're inspiring me so much and, you know, awesome. around this, I want to like, I, you know, I feel, I don't know if you educate people like really having the space, you know, when, especially when they're going around something like this in the, like um, the first time, you know, like the setting, you know, in the space mm. to help people be successful, you know, maybe in the modern, you know, the new healing paradigm, instead of all the stuff we have, like people just go and rest and get, oh. you know, supported so they don't eat for a few days. Oh my gosh. You, you know, know what? wouldn't that be great? Oh my you know? God. You know yeah. what? I was, uh, was it last year? Last year, yeah. last June. So we were still in the yeah. little, pa- the little pandemic that we had. <laughs> that whole thing. <laughs> <laughs> that whole thing. Yeah. I, I took a, I was at a seminar in Florida and we were waiting to get on the plane and there was like wheelchair after wheelchair after wheelchair. Mm-hmm. And I was watching these people and I looked down and you could see their ankles were really swollen and their face was kind of puffy. And all I could think was, if you came home with me and I taught you how to fast, maybe I even trained you to do a longer fast, you would see just how quickly you could undo that wheelchair Mm -hmm. and how quickly the the swelling in your ankles would change. Mm -hmm. So I, but then I, and then my head started future tripping into like, but you know, that environment that that person is living in has toxic food, maybe toxic thoughts, maybe toxic Wi-Fi. I mean, there's so many toxins just within our own house, with our own environment that sometimes you have to be extracted from the environment to yeah. be able to create healing. So I, I love your vision of that. Like, <laughs> like let's just go plot me on a beach and I'll, <laughs> I won't eat for days, you know, <laughs> I'm actually thinking like a fasting commune. I I think it's good. You know, get a sauna there and, you know, nature. And, and as we said, like it can be a spiritual experience, right? When you take all that mental energy around food out of the equation, you know, it's just this whole other opening, I think. And to that point, I really want to say that if you ever have a human problem, it's what I'll call it a human problem and you don't know how to solve it throw a fast at it, throw a three-day water fast at it, ask a question of like, okay, mm-hmm. universe, God, whoever you, whatever you connect with, show me the way. Mm-hmm. And, and what happens is as we fast, we not only when ketones go up, do we make more GABA, but there's, since the body's not focused on digesting, the noise in the mind calms down. Mm-hmm. And I cannot tell you how many times I've had ahas to some of the deepest problems that I can eat, that my human brain can't even figure out how to solve. If I go into a fast, the solution appears. And I think that is why every spiritual religion out there has used fasting to connect to God, universe, another consciousness. And although we love the health benefits, there is a deeper wisdom that can show up if you're really tuned into it. Mm. Oh, Mindy, I love that. I love that. And no, I think what a wonderful inspiration, you know, to wrap our conversation up. Cause as you know, we could talk all day and I, yeah, I was going to say, 
I know, like, we're going to just keep talking, you know, and I, I just know I just learned so much from you today. And I, I'm just so grateful for make it for you to make this making this information so accessible. I mean, I know that you have so much free information out there through YouTube and your podcast. And, um, and uh, I know you also have these, com- this community that you've cultivated and these books that you're writing. So please share um, where are all the wonderful um, ways that people can connect with you. Yeah, I'm kind of everywhere. So you pick and choose what works for you. I would say YouTube is really my passion project. I put a lot of the current science up there. I have a lot of how-to videos up there. So go subscribe. I put two new videos out every every week out there. Um, And then once a month, I do what I call a fast training week where we practice different fasts together as a community. So, and those videos on what we're doing for fast training week originate on YouTube. Instagram, of course, because it's the way the platform works, yeah. uh, small snippets of, you know, motivation and application. If you want to see what I eat, how I live, you know, <laughs> go find me in my stories. Um, <laughs> and then we do have a free Facebook group called the Resetter Collaborative, where you've got a, a talk about a fasting movement. People are supporting each other, helping Aww. each other out through different nice. fasting uh, styles. So, mm. and if you forget all that, you can go to drmindypels.com. <laughs> And find me there. And community is so so important, right? What an important uh, piece to help people be successful. So I'm so glad you've cultivated that community. Yeah, thank you. Yeah, especially for women, right? So, but in fact, this is, uh, I'll go back to geeking out on John Gray. This is what I I found is that uh, when women feel safe and they feel heard and they feel joyful, estrogen shines. When women feel connected and fulfilled and have relationships that are deep, meaningful relationships, progesterone shines. Mm. So community is so important, not only for our hormonal health, but as we learn to fast, as we learn to cycle everything, my big vision is let's gather women all around and let's support each other. We have a history of us talking crap to each other, competing with each other in this new paradigm that we are, that is emerging is a collaboration of women. And when we come together, what's going to happen is our hormones are going to shine and then look out world. We're going to take over the world. (laughs) I love that. I love that. I I see it, Mindy. And thank you for creating, you know, helping all the space to, you know, really create that um, movement um, that the world so really so much needs. So So uh, well, I can't thank you enough for being on the podcast and it's so lovely to connect with you. Yeah. Thank you. Appreciate you. You too. Thank you all for listening to the Spectrum of Health podcast. I hope you enjoyed my conversation today with Dr. Mindy Peltz. Please check out her website, drmindypeltz.com. And if you've been enjoying these podcasts, I would be so grateful if you would leave a review on iTunes. I hope you have a beautiful day.